Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to think deeply about the journey of Easter. Um, I, I, want to, I want us to think about the, the serious nature of it for a little while this morning. And the reason I want to do that uh, is because yesterday I was reminded about just how serious it is. Yesterday about 9 o'clock I found my phone and had a couple of text messages and a couple of phone calls and a voicemail. And when I listened to the voicemail, it was uh, from the Beecham family. And it, they let me know that uh, Ray had gone home to be with the Lord. And Ray had become a, a, a dear friend of mine and um, I, I, I loved the man. And so I got in the car and I headed over to their house and while I was driving there I was thinking about my brother Ray and thinking about, uh, I've known him for over about 30 years and um, really the last 10 have been deeper and richer. Got to walk through some just difficult life stuff with he and his family in a close way and every time Ray would see me the first thing he would ask me is how's that pretty little wife of yours? That was his language. How's that pretty little wife of yours? And I would tell him, you know, and then he would say, you know you don't deserve her. <laughs> and I would say, yes, Ray. And then I would tell Ray, and you know you don't deserve Joan. And, you know, he would laugh. And we'd, we'd do that. And then within two or three minutes, somewhere in that conversation very early, Ray would say, Joe, God has been so good to me. Now, Ray, Ray has been battling cancer uh, these last days of his life. And... Um, he still always said that to me. Every time we came face to face, every time I'd go over to the house and visit him, uh, he, would, he would tell me that. Thursday a week ago, was, he had fallen and I, I went over there to check on him and he was back in his bed. They'd got him to his bed and that was the same ritual. He went through the whole thing again. And, um, and this time when he said, Joe, God, is, God has been so good to me. It was with a depth. Uh, it was with a, a passion that was just unbelievable for a guy who was going through what, what he was going through. And so I want us to think about really the, the power of the resurrection today because here's what happened. When I got in my car and was heading back home, I was thinking about this family who, who was grieving, but oh my gosh, they were grieving with, I started to say hope. I'm not even going to use hope. They were grieving with certainty that they would see Ray again. It, I mean, it was that. They're, they're, they're that convinced. If you want to call it hope, you call it hope. But it was certainty that they were going to see their husband and father and grandfather again. That this was just a temporary loss. But while I was driving back home, I got behind, I got behind a truck. And on the, the window, on the back window, there was a decal that said, Life is good. And if you've got one of those, because of what I'm about to say, don't run out and rip it off. Don't do that. Um, but I, I want to I kind of speak to that for a moment. Because when I had left that family and I saw this bumper sticker, it reminded me of something that's kind of become a bit of a conviction with me. I don't really believe this life currently on this broken world is all good. 
It's hard. There are moments that it's really good. You know, there are moments of, of joy. But according to God's word, we don't even know what good is. I mean, we don't have a clue yet what good, what good he actually intended for us. We, 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 have, we, don't, we don't get that yet. And so I leave this family and I'm thinking about this, you know, life is good. And here's my conviction on this issue. Life isn't good. Life is hard. But God is good. Okay? And those are two different things. Life can be really, really hard. Now, here, here's when, when you think about this. I hope you realize this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this life is the closest you'll ever come to hell. Conversely, if you do not belong to Jesus, this life is as close as you're ever going to get to heaven. Now that's heart-wrenching when you pause and reflect on, on what that means. Now, for billions of people around the world, this life is not just hard, it is very hard. Very, very hard. Just hanging on by a thread in so many ways. Life is hard, but our God is good. And what I want us to look at is the good plan of our God through Jesus' three days of what I want to call three days of Easter. You've heard the 12 days of Christmas? Okay, we're going to look at the three days of Easter today because in, in, that, in those three days, Jesus paves a pathway. He paves a, a, a clear, easy road for us to follow on how to get to God for all eternity, but also how to, how to handle the worst days you'll ever have on this earth. He gives us that plan through the three days of Easter. And that's what I want us to look at. Um, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ suffered for you. Just personalize that for just a second. Jesus suffered for you. You personally, you intimately. And then it says, and he gave you an example to follow. So you should do as he did. In other words, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he modeled for you and for me how to live in the worst of days. When you go through tragedies, terrible pain, suffering, doubt, depression, despair, Jesus gives us a model in these last three days. Let me explain this. Through his death, burial, and resurrection that happened over three days, Friday for Jesus was an unbelievable day of suffering. Saturday was an unbelievable day of turmoil and fear and anxiety for his followers. But oh, there's day three. There's Sunday. There's joy. There's celebration. There's, it's, it's just over the top. What went on then? And what I want us to do is think about how do we move when we find ourselves in Fridays and Saturdays, when we find ourselves stuck maybe in one of those days in our lives, how do we get to Sunday? How do we get to the celebration? My guess that in a room with this many people in it, there is somebody here today who's suffering. You showed up today and you're suffering. There's probably somebody today who you're right smack dab in the middle of incredible turmoil, incredible tension. 
And I want us to think about how Jesus shows us to move all of that to a life that celebrates, even in our toughest days. And I want to begin with the day of suffering. Somebody says, well, tell me the good news first. Well, sometimes you have to clearly understand how bad things are before it really is good. For instance, if we were to take the entire United States Army and Marines and land them today on the beaches of France, fully armed, loaded for bear, how do you think the French would feel? You think they'd be ticked off? I think they would. But you know that happened once in the 40s. There was this armed invasion of France by the Allied forces. Now, do you think the French were ticked off? No. That was, they were excited because they were, in, they were being occupied by the Nazis. And for them, an invasion was the best thing that could ever happen. But it was because of their circumstances. And so sometimes you have to understand how dark things can be before you see how you get to celebration. And so I want us to start there this morning. And I want you to know this about Jesus. Jesus Christ suffered the greatest suffering known to mankind. He suffered and experienced ultimate human physical suffering. He experienced ultimate human emotional and psychological suffering. We talked about that at length Thursday night. So I'm not going to go back into the details of that. If you, if you need more information about, uh, about how excruciating uh, both psychologically and emotionally and physically crucifixion and scourging could be, let me know and I will get you those details. But there was another level of suffering that none of us will ever experience. Now you, you could be crucified and scourged exactly like Jesus, but you still would not experience all of the suffering that Jesus experienced because of this third one. And it was the spiritual suffering that Jesus went through because when he died, all the sins of everybody on this planet were put on him in that moment in history. And what that means is, how many of you have ever done something wrong and felt guilty? I'm looking for hands that don't go up. We, you know, we need to talk. Now, multiply that guilt by every person on the planet multiple times that they have felt guilty. Multiply that for those who carry the guilt of murder and rape and genocide and the Holocaust and everything else horrible that you could imagine that's ever happened in humanity. Jesus took all that guilt, all that shame on his body. And in that moment, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was somehow cut off from his father in a way that we will never understand. He was completely cut off. No one has ever experienced the kind of suffering that Jesus did. Kathy and I watched The Passion Friday night. It has kind of become a spiritual discipline for me on Good Friday to watch The Passion of the Christ. Now, as horrible as it was, we saw is, the truth is, historians tell us that it in no way compares to the actual scourging that people went through. And doctors who studied Roman crucifixion tell us that even though it was awful, it still in no way captures all the suffering and pain that victims went through in Roman crucifixion. 
The, the, the movie just doesn't even come close in capturing the whole of the suffering of Christ. Now what that tells me and what that means to me personally is this. I can trust that Jesus gets human suffering. He knows it like nobody else has ever known it before. He gets your suffering. And he sympathizes with you. He cares about you. He, he, he's connected that. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this. Jesus understands our weakness for he faced all the same testings we do yet he did not sin. Hebrews chapter 2 says since he has now been through suffering and temptation he knows what it's like when we suffer and we are tempted. And here's the key to this. Please grab this. And he is wonderfully able to help us. Not just able, he's wonderfully able to help us because he, he knows the path. He's walked it, he has been on it himself and he has the power to take you along it as well. So what do you do when you find yourself in days of suffering, in a season of suffering? Well we see Jesus doing two things really on Thursday night in preparation because he knew Friday was coming. And here's the first thing that Jesus did that you and I can do. You may think that's kind of hard to believe that Jesus needed to do that or wanted to do that. Here's the first thing he did. In days of suffering Jesus recruited his friends. And when Jesus was about to face his greatest suffering that he ever faced on the night that he was going to be arrested tortured, crucified, and then stuck in a tomb, Jesus said to his small group, I need to go pray. How about come with me? Now, Jesus could have left the upper room that night by himself. He could have gone alone by himself. He, he, could, have, he could have walked, you know, down the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. They, they wanted to call it the Garden of Olives or the Olive Garden, but that was already taken, so they couldn't do that. The, um, but I think that might be Jesus' favorite restaurant. Just say, I don't know that for sure. Just saying it's all. How many of you are hungry now? You're thinking breadstick. I know, yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. But he takes his 11 closest friends. And he, he says, I'm going to go pray and I want you to come with me. See, Jesus demonstrated his greatest hour of need, approaching his greatest suffering. He wanted his friends to be with him. Now, if you'll notice, Matthew 26 tells us what they did when they went. Matthew 26, it says, then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit there. He didn't ask them to preach a sermon. He didn't ask them to cook a meal. He didn't ask him to do anything. He just said, be with me. I just want you to be with me while I'm going to go through this suffering. He said, I need you to be present while I go over there and pray. And it says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And what that means is he's, he is just, he, he's racked because he knows what's coming. And then Jesus pours his heart out to Peter and James and John, the son of Zebedee. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus goes full disclosure. He com completely transparent. And he says to those three, now you remain here. Watch with me. That was the only thing they had to do was just watch. Just watch. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Folks, even the son of God in his greatest time of suffering needed people in his life around him. But do you know what most of us do when we're approaching our suffering? We isolate. We cocoon. We try to get as far away from other people as we possibly can. And that is the worst possible thing you can do. 
That is not the model that Jesus gave us. We're to invite our brothers and sisters of community into our lives. Galatians chapter 6 says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, and soul, strength. What do you say about your neighbor? Love them as yourself. So there's this, the law of Christ is to love, to carry each other's burdens. So the first thing that you need to do as you're facing suffering is don't do it alone. Reach out, recruit, bring others into it. And it doesn't have to be hundreds. Jesus didn't invite hundreds that night. He invited his small group. Do you have a small group of people that in your greatest suffering you feel very comfortable calling and saying I just want you to come over and watch me suffer I just need you to be present with me I, I don't want you to fix me a meal I don't want you to I, I don't want you to do anything I just, want, I just need you in the room I don't know what I would tell you to do I just need you with me now I'm going to tell you that would feel awkward it would feel awkward to extend that to many people. It would feel awkward to be on the receiving end. You know, so many of us are doers. You know, don't invite me if I can't do something. Don't invite me to just sit there. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, please just come sit with me. Some of the greatest ministry that ever happens is just the ministry of presence. Just being with people in, in their suffering. Just, just being like that. Now folks, if you don't have some friends like that in your life, for the love of God and for the sake of your own sanity, I want to challenge you to get you some. Now, it may take hard work on your part. Some of you may have to change some habits. Some of you may have to change some attitudes. Some of you may have to have a more flexible schedule with your schedule in order to have some relationships that are that deep and rich. But it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Our staff, our elders, our leaders in our church, we will help you. We can't make friends for you like that. We've tried. Don't work. But we will help you. We'll help you start a small group. We'll help you think through how to do that. But I, I want to encourage you to, to go after that. But now here's, here's the kind of downside of only doing friends. Because they will not always be able to be there 24-7, 365. But God can. And that was the next thing we see Jesus doing in the garden. He recruited his friends to come with him. But then he cried out to God. He, he reaches out to his Father in heaven. Yes, recruit friends. But then cry out to God. Notice this was the order that Jesus did it in. He, he, he called out to God, and this is simply prayer. On the night before he would face his greatest suffering, really he was in the middle of the suffering. In Mark it tells us that after walking a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed. That if it were possible, he might not have to suffer what was ahead of him. And he said, Abba, Father. In his greatest suffering, Jesus cries out, Abba, Father. It was personal, it was intimate. When you're suffering... Don't come up with some, you know, King James 1611 version, wherefore thou God, O holy creator of the universe. Don't pray like that. 
The Bible says that if you're in Christ, God is your father. Now, he's not, he's not everybody on the planet's father. I know some people think that. He's everybody's creator, but he's not everybody's father. He doesn't become your father until you trust his son for your eternity. That's when he becomes your father. And he wants you to come to him. This is Joe's translation of how Jesus prayed, Daddy, help. Dad, dad help. Help me. And I want you to notice, pay careful attention to what Jesus prayed. Because he prayed three very specific things. He starts out by saying, you can do anything, Father. You can do, you can do anything. Take this cup of suffering away from me. But let your will be done rather than mine. Now please, please grab hold of this. He prayed three things. The first thing that Jesus prayed was a prayer of affirmation about who he knew God to be. He came saying, God, you are, you, you are all powerful. You can do all things. This affirmed God's power. And our prayer needs to come that it's the prayer of faith. It's the prayer that says, God, I get it. You can do anything. I understand who you really are. You affirm that. A couple reasons why is, one, it needs to be settled in your heart. Secondly, Satan needs to hear you say out loud, you're trusting God completely. It's a declaration. You're taking a stand. I don't know if you know this, but in, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, there's this chapter about prayer warfare. You get to the end of it, and then the Bible, the Bible says, the scripture says, stand firm. This is how you take a stand. You just declare to Satan, I trust that God can do anything. You affirm that. The second thing you do is you express what's on your heart. You just express, you pour out your heart. This is my desire, God, and you express it. Is it okay to complain to God? Yes. We have this book in the Bible called Psalms. Filled with a dude sitting around complaining. Griping to Jesus about, I'm just, life is horrible. It's hard. And God said, yeah, no. I love you. I'm with you in it. You know? So you express it. Jesus did. And if it's okay for Jesus to do that, he's our model. So we can do it too. Third thing that you notice that Jesus did, he gets to the end of his expressing his heart's desire. And then he just surrenders his trust to God. He says, God, Father, you've heard my desire, but here's what I want more than I want that. I want your will done. Because I know when your will's done, what's best for me will happen. God, I want your will above even having to, you know, get out of the suffering. I want your will more than that. You know, I remember, I remember praying that prayer over and over again as we watched my mom die from cancer. I remember going to God and affirming that, God, I know you could take this cancer from my mom. Bam! God, would you do that, please? But God, if you want to take her home, because I trust your will is better for her and me, let your will be done. Now, th that's hard to pray, I know. But I have found in my mom's passing that God has done some incredible things. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed. Do you know what happened next? Guards show up, armed guards show up. They shackle him in chains. They literally drag him away. They beat him. They take him to be tortured. 
They nail him to a cross. He dies horribly and they put him in a borrowed tomb in the ground. That's Friday. Leads us to the next day of Saturday, the second day of Easter. And the second day of Easter, these Saturdays of life, these are the days of turmoil. These are the days when fear begins to grip our hearts. Just imagine being the disciples on Saturday. Just be thinking about that. They saw the Messiah, the Son of God. Some of them heard God say that, this is my Son, to whom I'm, I'm well pleased. They saw the Romans crucify him. They saw him die. They saw him put in a tomb. Could you imagine? I could just see them sitting around Saturday saying, what happened? Man, we bet the farm on this guy. We saw him. We know he could have come off the cross. We saw him do miracles. We saw him heal sick people. We, we, saw, we saw him calm a storm. We saw him walk on water. We saw him raise a dead guy. We saw all of that. We just knew he was going to come off the cross. What happened? What, what, what happened? See, there are a lot of people who kind of think of Jesus as a martyr. You know, most people are martyred. They're not, they don't willingly die. They don't go in saying, you know, I'm going to go die. That's what I'm here for. This is the purpose of me showing up in this cause. They, they believe in their cause enough that they will allow themselves to be killed for it. But see, Jesus wasn't a martyr. Jesus was on mission. It was his mission to die. It was his mission. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give my life. And because I give it, I can take it back up when I want to. I could just bring my life back. I'm, and that's going to do that. Now, this is, when you look at this, you know, when you see this Saturday, often what it feels like is you're frozen. It feel, you feel like you're frozen in limbo. Have you ever been there? Maybe having to make a difficult decision? And you're just, and you don't know what to do? Or, or maybe the turmoil in your family is just so great you feel frozen, you don't know which way to turn, which way to go. You, you just don't know. So much was going on. You know, sometimes people may have experienced these in some ways. Like, like because I know this about some folks, some folks in our church. You, you took a new job. Because you kind of thought God was leading into it. And you took that new job and then the company folded. And you were stuck. You were without a job. Some of you started a new business and the business failed. And you don't, you don't understand it. You, you're confused. Some of you went into a marriage and you went into that marriage think, this is going to be heaven on earth. And that's not what it was. And... It failed. And you don't know what's going on. What do you do now? There are all these turmoil ways, thousands of ways in this life that we can experience Saturday. Jesus has warned the disciples that Saturday was coming. He, he warned them. He tells us in Matthew chapter 26, it said, Then Jesus told them, Before the night's over, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. Literally, you were all going to come unglued. You are not going to know what to do. You're going to fall to pieces. Mark records it. He, Jesus said this, All of you will desert me. Jesus told them, For God has declared through the prophets, I will kill the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus knew it was coming. So he told the disciples, Be ready for this. 
in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew tells us this is exactly what happened. It says, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. They all just took off from Jesus. Everyone deserted him. I, can I, I want to be nosy for a second. Okay, I'm just going to meddle in your life a little bit. Have you, have you ever, maybe it was a, time, a season of your life where you had prayed for something and you really wanted it and you really, really hoped it was coming and from your vantage point, God didn't deliver and so you walked away from God. Quit going to church. Just kind of pulled back. You were terribly disappointed. You, you, you really thought, you know, God should do this for you. And so you just pulled away from God instead of pressing into him. If that is you and you are here today, back in a church for the first time in a long time, here's what, here's what I want to say to you. It's time to come home. It's time to come all the way back to God. It's time to, to, to just come all in once again. Just like Ron and Sissy did. They were coming and saying, I want to be all in. And here's what's going to happen. God will welcome you back. Just like Jesus welcomed the disciples back into his life when he was resurrected. Even though they had scattered and fled and deserted him, Jesus gets all up in their business. He's letting him, them touch him and, you know, they, they have this, this, these intimate moments. So how do you get through turmoil? The disciples didn't do it really well before the resurrection, but boy, they got it right after the resurrection. Here's what you do. You've got to, in the days of turmoil, you've got to know how to recall the promises of God. You've got to know how to recall the promises of God. When you're going through the days of turmoil, the days of, of doubt, the days of fear, the days of disappointment, and we're all going to go through them. It, sometimes it's a cycle. Sometimes it always feels like it's Friday and it's Saturday and it's Friday and it's Saturday. It's Friday and it's Saturday. It's Friday and it's Saturday. Some of us just kind of feel like that. Right before Jesus was crucified, he gave the disciples a huge promise. In John chapter 16, Jesus said this. He said, in just a little while, I will be gone. But just a little while after that, you will see me again. He's predicting the resurrection. That he knew what was going to happen. He said, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn, you're going to grieve. But your grief will suddenly be turned to wonderful joy. Then Jesus goes on and says this, It'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born, her anguish, that, that labor suffering. It gives away to joy because she has brought this new baby into the world. That labor pain diminishes for the joy of this child. And then Jesus says this, So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. And here's the part that I love. This is the great part of that verse. And no one can rob you of that joy. You know, one of the things when I was at the Beecham's house, and even again this morning, they were in our first service. They sat right back over here. One of the things that they had was joy. It was just, it wasn't joy that Ray was gone. It was joy that they knew he wasn't suffering, that he was in the presence of Jesus, and they'd see him again. It was that certain for them. And they were able to experience joy in the midst of this. See, you and I can't see clearly in the days of sorrow and suffering or the days of turmoil. We can't see. 
That it's sometimes it's part of God's plan and he's working his plan. But when you finally see the whole plan come to fruition, here's what God says. Is you're going to have a kind of joy that comes that nobody could ever take from you. It could never be taken away. It's going to be that kind of joy if you will walk through Jesus in the midst of this. Now some of you are going through that right now. I, I, I don't know what. Some are going through suffering. Some are going through this kind of difficulty. And here's something you need to know. This book, God's Word, is filled with thousands of promises from God to you. Thousands of promises from God to you. That it's, if you don't know them, there's no way you can cling to them. If you don't know what they are, there's no way for you to claim those. Do you know one of the sure ways of knowing that you don't really know the promises of God very well? You worry. You worry. And I'm not talking about a passing thought. I'm talking about you get sunk in it. You just get sunk in worry. I asked in the first service, anybody familiar with that word? And lots of hands went like this. I'm familiar with it. You know, familiar with that word worry. How many of you have ever, uh, you were probably going to, let's say, have like a, a medical procedure of some sort, maybe a, um, let's say surgery of some sort, and you weren't quite sure whether or not your insurance plan covered it. And so you did what? You worried. And so then what you do is you either go to your insurance policy or you call your agent on the phone and say, hey, does this policy cover this procedure? And if you're like my wife, you write that person's name down and time stamp it, you know, so that you, you can go back and say, now I talked to Susie, you know, so and so. Um, and this is what she said. But you walk out of that conversation or out of reading that policy and you know, my policy covers this procedure. And so you quit worrying. And you move forward with the procedure. Because you trust the promise that your policy made. Folks, here's a better policy. A far better policy. And the only way you will know what's covered under your plan, the only way you will ever get to the place where you won't worry so much, is, is knowing the promises of God. So that you can just kind of cling to those. Cling to them. Because that's what will get you through days of turmoil. Days of confusion and doubt and fear is hanging on, clinging on to the promises of God. Some of you may have gotten here today and you're, right now you feel like you're in the middle of a personal train wreck. Maybe, maybe physically, maybe something medically is going on. Maybe relationally. Maybe right now your marriage is on just, it's just, you're having a rough time. Maybe you feel like everything in your life is just turning to ashes. And if you feel that way, I want, I want to give you this promise from God's Word. You may want, to cling, may want to write this one down and cling to it. It's from Isaiah chapter 61. It says this. God promises this. He says, to provide for all those who grieve. To give them crowns instead of ashes. Joy instead of grief. Praise instead of a spirit of weakness. If you feel like things are just going to, to the trash heap, maybe you need to cling to that. That those who can call God their father. You know, I could, 
not only give you more scripture, and I'm going to, but I could bring hundreds of people up from our church who could give you testimony of how they have held to the promises of God and God saw them through. That God's promises are all fulfilled in Jesus and as they walk with Jesus, they've seen God's promises fulfilled. Here's another one. I shared it with a brother this, this past week. Isaiah chapter 43 says this. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior. Now, folks, here's the part. You got to grab this last part. You got to grab it. You got to have a, a Savior. You got you to have one. You can't do this on your own. You cannot resurrect yourself. A lot of you have tried really hard. Tried to raise yourself from the death that you feel like you're in some days. The only way you will ever get through Fridays and Saturdays to Sunday celebration is with a Savior. You cannot get there by yourself. You got to have a Savior. That, that first Easter morning, that first Easter morning, there ended up being great joy. Now, it started with morning. Some women who had followed Jesus got up early, even before daylight, and they began making their way to the place where Jesus was buried, and they were going to do what? Have a worship service? No. They were going there to mourn. They were on their way to mourn. And Jesus turned their mourning into dancing. And they started running up and down the street. I mean, they just started running up and down the street, running to tell people. I've seen Jesus' first appearance was to a woman and she takes off to the disciples and then they see Jesus. And joy just begins to, to blossom and blow up. Over the next 40 days, he shows himself to them over and over again. And, and to other people, he has meals with them. He eats with them. We know that at one time there was a gathering of about 500 and he talked and he shared with them. And that became a game changer for the disciples. It changed everything for them. They became, instead of being filled with fear like they were on Saturday, they became absolutely fearless. Because you know why? Because here's what, here's what went on. They looked at the Roman establishment and said, you can kill us, but I'll be Bach. That's where, that's, that's where Arnold got that line from. He got it from the disciples of Jesus. They knew if you killed them, they'd be back because Jesus came back. They no longer feared death. And so those 11 guys, after Jesus went back to the Father, they went out and changed the world. I mean, they, they overthrew the Roman Empire. 300 years later, the Roman Emperor becomes what? Father of Jesus Christ. It changed, it changed the world. Those 11 people following Jesus and those that would come after them. Because of the day of celebration. So how do you get there? How do you, how do you live in the day of celebration instead of Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday? How do you live? You have to do this. You got to rely on the power of Jesus. You will never get there if you try to rely on your own power. This only comes from relying on the power of Jesus. It's so much more than self-effort. If God could have accomplished this by just giving you a little more willpower, 
and his son Jesus wouldn't have to die? Don't you think God would have done that? If all, it, if all you needed was just a little more willpower to help, a little more, you know, self-help book, one more good self-help book, that's what we need. No. You have to have a personal Savior. You, you've got to rely on the power of, of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to put this message in a nutshell real quickly. Here was Jesus' path for us to follow. That's what we said. That's how we started out. First is this. You've got to reach out to him. You've got to reach out to him. Secondly, you've got to recall the promises that he's made. If you're a follower of his, you've got to recall the promises he's made. And then the third thing, you've got to rely on him. You can't do it. You can't do it in your own strength. You've got, you got to rely on him. In John chapter 11, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies like anyone else, shall live again. You may die like everybody else, but you're going to live again if you're in Christ. They'll be given eternal life for believing in me and they shall never perish. See, what that verse says is, what we know as death is not the end of the story. You know that little thing that comes up at the, you know, video game when it, end, it says game end? No. Death is not game over. It, it, it's not. And that gives me incredible hope. And not just hope, it gives me certainty. It's giving the Beecham family that kind of incredible hope even in their sorrow. Because Jesus says that he's the resurrection and life. And I, I hope you understood what he said. Jesus said, I am. He didn't say, hey, let me give you uh, six easy suggestions, you know, on how to have a resurrected life. He didn't say, let me give you some principles to salvation. Jesus said, it's me. It's me. It's just me. It's personal. That's why you don't need a religion or rules or regulations. You need the person of Jesus Christ in your life. You need a personal relationship. You need to know intimately know Jesus because knowing Jesus is better than a bunch of rules and religion anyway a personal relationship and here's the reality for all of us whether you have heard for the very first time in a way that makes sense to you that Jesus died for you and that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you can have life eternal. Whether you heard that and got it for the very first time today, or whether you've known that for years and you've been walking with him for years, the truth for all of us is we need to know Christ more than we do in this moment. And so my prayer from Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 for the last week has been this. And I just want to read it to you. It's going to come up on the screen. But this is the prayer that I've been praying as, as we've approached this day. I pray that you will begin to understand. This is a prayer Paul prayed. And, and, and for some of you, that's what today is about. It's just beginning to understand how incredibly great Jesus' power really is. A power to raise dead things. How incredibly great that is. And how he's able to help those who believe in him. It's the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So that same power can, read, can raise a dead marriage. It can raise a dead career. It can raise dead relationships. It can raise anything. It can be a whole new ball game for you starting today. Paul with the Philippians says this. He said, I'm praying for us to know Christ that way. To know him that way. And the power of his resurrection. And then it says, 
in the fellowship of sharing in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. Becoming like him. Connected to him. That means saying, if it takes going through tough times to know him that way, baby, bring on the tough times. If I could know him that way and the power of his resurrection in this life so it's a game changer for me, I'll walk through tough times. I'll, I'll do that to know Christ that way. To know him personally. That's why starting next Sunday for the, this month and, and the month of May, we're going to take the next two months and really dig into what it means to have a personal God. What it looks like to have a personal God. There's a description in your newsletter about what this series is going to be. But that, it's that important. Now, I want, I want to close by showing you how to know, actually know, this personal God. How to, how to grow in this journey of knowing. And it's found in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Some of you can quote it to me right now. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And, that, and that's literally saying if, if you admit this. If you, if you actually believe this and we'll say this out loud. Just like our, our baptism candidates did. They said it out loud. They admitted it. If you will confess that Jesus is Lord. That he's the manager. That he's in charge. That he's your leader. He's your CEO. He's not just a resident. He's a ruler of your life. If you will do that and if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. See that, that believing in your heart part, that's Easter man. That's what Easter is about. The death, burial, and resurrection. Then you will be saved. I don't know if you're aware of that but that's one of the promises in this book. Uh, that's one of those thousands of promises. You will be saved. You will be Christ for eternity. Now here's the, here's the question I want to ask everyone in this room this morning. Have you claimed that one promise? Just that one. There's thousands more. But have you personally claimed that one particular promise that you can be saved through confessing and believing in your heart? If you haven't, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And so I want all of us to pray together. Okay, pray with me if you would right now. If right now in this moment you want to confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you want to confess, if you want to admit, if you want him to be the leader of your life, then I'm just going to ask you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. And you can just repeat the words in your mind to God. Pray with me. Father, the desire of my heart is to follow you. To follow you, Jesus. I admit, I agree that you are Lord of all and I invite you to be Lord of my life. I choose to surrender myself and my will to you. I believe, I trust that God raised you from the dead and that by 
your death on the cross with my sin you raised to give me new life too I believe that Jesus Jesus I have lived my life in Fridays and Saturdays and I'm so grateful for Sunday today I give you my life and I choose to follow you all the days It's in your name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.